All right, surely we're ready now. Yes? All right, let's do the papers. Why do you write so tiny? Oh. You expect me to read this? Who needs glasses? Lucas. He just writes tiny. Who does? James. Mm-hmm. That's what theologians do. That's what? That's what theologians do. Wow. Number one, Anna, what is it? Read the question, please. Nice loud. found Yeah, where's the protoevangelium found? Pepper. And that is correct. Very good. All right, Jack, number two, please. Proto means blank. Yep. Jaden. First. First, good. Addison, number three. Evangelium comes from a blank word that means blank. Yep. Um, this is Hebrew good news, but it's Greek good news. It is Greek. It is absolutely Greek. All right. Yep, it is Greek. Yes, Latin. Oh, I remember. It has a... Yep. All right, Jaden. Next. Whose offspring will crush the head of the serpent? Yep, whose? This one says the woman's. The woman? Okay, I'll accept woman. Anybody else have something besides woman? What do you have, Pepper? Eve. Eve, anybody else? In reality, who is it? Eve. I thought it was Mary. Well, Mary still keeps offspring. Very true. Yeah, that's how it works. But Eve is a correct answer. Why did I just interject that to you? What am I wanting you to see? That Jesus is Mary's son. Yeah, ultimately she becomes the woman by which provides the offspring. Is it a series of offsprings? Sure. Seeds, yes. But ultimately we get to Mary. Jaden, next. Blank track descendants, and the word starts from G-E. Yeah, what is it? Genealogies. Yes, genealogies, genealogies. Lucas, next. Ultimately, the offspring of Eve is blank. Jesus. Yes, ultimately, it's Jesus. Yep. Jack, next. Wait. Yep, Pepper. It, it says the Satan. What's that? It, it says the ultimately, the offspring of Eve is the Satan. Does that count? Yeah, minus two. Jack. The offspring of the serpent is blank. The devil? Yeah, the devil is Satan. If someone put the dragon, would that count? Minus two. Lucas, next. Satan is the culpable agent for the blank of man. Fall. For the fall of man. That's right. Culpable. What's culpable mean, Jack? The responsible. Yeah, sure. Bryson. If they put sin, does that fall? That falls under fall, right? The sin of man? Mm-hmm. Minus two. Yeah. Jaden, next. On the cross, blank attempted to inflict a head injury to Jesus. Yep. Who? Satan. Yeah, the Satan. Okay. Evie. Who did Satan enter to orchestrate the betrayal of Christ and his crucifixion? Yeah, who is it? Judas. Yeah, Judas Iscariot. Get her, did she get it right? Yeah, she put G- Geos. <laughs> Sorry, I was writing. Really. Hmm. You're just making up words? <laughs> no. Look, I'm not trying to. You're not trying to. Alright, Lucas, go. Why can we call the injury Christ received a heel and not a head injury? Uh, he rose from the grave instead of staying to add a concrete. Yes, that is correct. You have to talk about the resurrection. Pepper. Thirteen. Why was Christ crucified from a theological perspective? This says he was crucified to pay atonement for our sins. Perfect. Great answer. I got it. Yeah, he died for our sins. Got to talk about death and sins. That's the theological reason why he died. What if it says to fulfill the proto-evangelism? Minus two. Okay, Um, Lucas next. What was the point of tempting Christ to sin uh, so that he could not be a sinless sacrifice, therefore unable to redeem us? Yeah, good. Perfect answer. Good. Jack. 
What is the gospel? Be detailed, careful, and specific. This paper says the gospel means good news. And that's all it says? That's all it says. And that was detailed, specific, and comprehensive? Wow. Anybody else have a better answer for what the gospel is? Pepper? The good news is the gospel is the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And that's it, just stops there? Is that complete? Is that enough to say about the gospel? So it says the gospel is the good news that we can be saved if we believe in death, burial, and resurrection. Good answer. Yep. Is this wrong? What's that? Is this wrong? Is it wrong? Yeah. What do you think, Pepper? I give it half. You give it half. What's it missing? A bit more About? How he died. Nope. Jaden? Lucas says, The good news of Jesus living a sinless life, dying for our sins on the cross, being raised again on the third day, that we may spend eternity with him as we believe. Yeah, that's an excellent answer. So what was missing? In your answer, the one on your paper, Pepper, compared to what you just heard from Lucas. Uh, going to heaven when we believe. No. That's not some major. Landon. The birth and the sinless life. What else? Bryson. That he, he was risen. He rose from the grave. Yeah, there's, you have no, re there, is there any reference to re resurrection in your answer? No. Would we be talking about Christ today? if he did not rise from the grave? Let's answer that question right now. Would we even be having a, would we even be in this room on this day having this conversation if Christ did not rise from the grave? No. No. What would everyone have concluded were it not for the resurrection? What would everyone have concluded were it not for the resurrection? That's Satan one. What? That same one. He lied. Lied. What else? He was just a nice guy. Another man died. You think he's the only guy that was crucified? No. Were the day before people crucified and the day after people crucified and the week after people were crucified and the week before people were crucified and the month before and the month after? Did the entire world look at him and go, he's dying for our sins? No. Why did they think he was dying? Because he did something wrong. What? Blasphemy. Yes, blasphemy. That's what they tell Pilate. He said he is God. And there's only how many gods? And he can't be God if there's one in heaven. So he needs to be put to death. Our religion demands that he be put to death, and we can't put him to death. They're the very ones that are yelling, crucify him. They're not saying die for our sins, die for our sins, die for our sins. It's impossible. It is impossible to over-exaggerate the significance of the resurrection. You can't, you can't talk too much about it. You can't exaggerate its importance too much. What do you think the disciples would have done had he not rose from the grave, according to what the Gospels reveal? Yeah, doing what? Fishing. Telling about the world about Jesus? No. What did they do when he died? Yes. They literally had lost all hope. Was Peter expecting Jesus to die? No. He was fighting against it. You wouldn't want Jesus to die. He was supposed to overthrow the Romans and establish a kingdom on this earth. That's what he was supposed to do. And that wasn't an unrealistic expectation. This is the man that can heal people. This is the greatest medic that's ever walked on a battlefield. You get that? This is the man who can feed how many at one time? Is it easy for him? No. Yes. Yes. Can he turn water into wine? Yes. Right. What can't he do? He raises the dead. He makes the blind to see. He makes the lame to walk. He makes the deaf to hear. He walks on water. He calms storms. 
Is there any reason why he could not have overthrown the Romans? He didn't just summon a bunch of angels and Sure, but what they saw was enough to create the power to win. And instead of doing that, Lucas, he dies. I don't think anyone in this room realizes how demoralized the disciples were. You've been eating, sleeping, and drinking with Jesus for three years. Where he goes, you go. I don't mean on Sundays. They got up in the morning and went wherever together. They went to bed wherever together. And they did it day after day after day after day for three years. And then your very, very, very best friend dies. How sad was that day for them? Yes. And then on the third day, these rumors start um, spreading throughout Galilee, throughout Jerusalem. He's alive. I saw him. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Peter running to the grave? Think about that. Be incredible. I attended a funeral yesterday. The firstborn son lost his dad. He held it together all the way through the funeral. He held it together. He talked about his dad. He read a poem. He landed and he had it all together all the way there. The funeral was over. We took the casket out of the building. The palm bearers rolled it into the back of the hearse. They closed the hatch of the hearse. And the man lost it. Why? Why? Why was that? Why was that the moment that he lost it? Why do you? What do you think? He's never going to see again. What? But but he'd been dead for days. What happened at that moment when they rolled the casket into the hearse and pushed the hatch down? What happened at that moment? The realization hit him. Yeah finality of it. Do you think that the disciples had a similar moment? Yeah. Exactly. Can you imagine running to the grave because you got word that your dad is not in the grave anymore? So you go to the burial site and you see a hole you see an open casket? Would that not blow your mind? Hello? You look down in the hole and the casket is open and it's empty? What is running through your mind right now, Landon? Yes. Exactly. And then the Bible says for 40 days, Jesus stayed on the planet. Why do you think he stayed on this planet, Pepper, for 40 more days? So that people could see him? Yes. Not like a momentary encounter, did I have a dream? Day after day, day after day. 40 uh, days is six weeks. Enough time to remove all doubt that this was just a mirage or a, a spirit or a... Uh, angelic being what's Jesus doing with the disciples during this time teaching them teaching them what else <clears throat> what are the things he does in a way to ensure that they know it's a legitimate resurrection he eats with them that's right all right all right what number are we on pepper 15 15 what is it what is the gospel? Be oh, wait, no, that was awesome. Alright, 16. Satan attempted to kill Lady Jesus through blank, a person, Herod. Herod, that's right. Lucas, next. Christ defeated his arch enemy Satan when he came over, when he overcame death, and blank from, from blank blank rose from the grave. Yep, rose from the grave. Yep. So if it says rose from the cross, is that wrong? Minus one. Rose from the cross is a little awkward language. Anna. This one says sin in the grave. What? This one says sin the grave. Sin the grave? 
Mark, mark the sin part wrong. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Rose from the dead is great. Yeah. Yeah. Luke is next. Uh, true or false? Satan is the god of this world and can keep humans from believing the gospel. False. False. That's right. False. Next. <coughs> Do it again. Uh, true or false? Jesus entered Satan's house and plundered his good for three years. Good true. for three years. True. True. Yes. What's an example of doing that? Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Next, Jack. Christ was able to protect Peter from Satan's attempts to hinder his faith. True. True. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. 20 questions? Yeah. Score them. Let's go. Yeah. Jane, get 100. Please. Annie, you gonna finish your donut? Oh, okay. so you you don't know if you're gonna finish your donut? What are you gonna decide whether you're gonna know that you're gonna finish it or not? You didn't Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1. We're going to do some review work. All right, here's the question. Here's the question. We've got 100. Nobody? Jaden, what'd you get? 95. 95. What'd you miss? One question. Which no question, question did no he miss? <laughs> He's so intentional about making sure that he answers vaguely. He said Judas Iscariot was trying to kill baby Jesus. And oh. Right. Yeah, okay. That's reasonable. <laughs> Pepper, what'd you get? 93. 93. All right. Jack, what'd you get? 92. What'd you miss? I missed question three. And... Minus two points on 13. Okay. All right. It should be 93. Yeah, so obviously the person who graded your paper is struggling with what? Math. Wait. Wow. All right, gather the papers together, Luke. Just get the papers together to determine. Quickly, quickly, quickly. All right, when I tell you that no other book, no other chapters are more disputed than Genesis 1 through 3. When I tell you that no other, no other books, no other chapters are more disputed in the Bible than Genesis 1 through 3. Why is that? Why is it that no other, no other section of Scripture is more disputed then Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And what do I mean, first of all, by disputed? Argued over. All right, argued over. Not quite, but not, not bad. More than that. Pepper. Debated over. What? Debated over. Not quite debated. Not quite debated. There are other passages that are debated over. This is more than debated. What What is dispute? Okay, yeah, disagreements, yeah. Trying to prove them wrong. Okay, yeah. So why is it that you think that Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are some of the most disputed passages in the entire Bible? Why Why do you think that they are there? Because people don't believe in creation. Okay, yeah, so we're going to identify some truths that are the key truths that are disputed. So we're doing our chapters... One, two, and three review, and then uh, next week you'll have a take-home test for chapters one, two, and three, all right? So what is the single disputed truth? What is the most disputed truth in Genesis one, two, and three? Jaden? Yeah, the creation aspect of it, right. The creation aspect, that's correct. And why do you think that is? Why is creation so disputed today? Why is creation pepper? People don't believe in a God that could create it. Um, not quite. 
Yeah, Jay. No, you don't have an answer. Yes, yes, exactly. It is the infiltration of the evolutionary worldview. And the evolutionary worldview became dominant and still holds its place as the single explanation as to the what? The origin of mankind. mankind. The origin of the universe, the origin of all. Is the bang or some event that led to where we're at over billions of years, whatever the newest number is for the number of billions. Any of you that go to a secular university, you're gonna get exposed to this. Just be ready, that's gonna be the dominant uh, worldview. Even if you go to a Christian university in a science class, you're gonna be expected to learn this. Uh, even if you don't agree with it, you're gonna be expected to learn it. A Christian university is gonna teach it as one of the theories because of the necessity of um, you being able to teach it in a secular school, for example. Uh, as a teacher, let's say any of you want to be a teacher or a scientist, all right? So why is this so problematic? Well, it's the dominance of science. You know, we're smarter now than ever before. We, we know more than ever before. We, we are solving problems like never before. Science continues to be elevated above and above and above in its authority. And as such, it really tends to poo-poo on the idea that God just spoke the universe into existence. <clears throat> so this requires more, more faith. This requires more faith in the Bible or in the veracity of the Word of God, in the truth of the Word of God. Again, I, I'll go back to the three questions that you guys have to work through as young adults. Question number one is, is there a God? That's question number one. There are many people that say, yes, there is a God, but he used evolution to create everything. And that's really problematic. Why is that really problematic? Yes, there is a God, but he used evolution to create everything. Why is that problematic? Why is that problematic? It doesn't give him ownership over the world. Yep, doesn't give him ownership. Why else is it problematic? Pepper. That means he doesn't really have the power to I don't think they, they would deny the power. They would say that he uses that. So why is it problematic? Come on, I, I need you guys to, to engage. Why is it problematic to suggest that God used evolution to create everything? Because then it's showing, like, he can't do it himself. He needs other things to do it. Okay, why else? It disagrees with what the Bible states. Yes, exactly. Right. Right. That's so important for you all to realize this morning. So if, in fact, God did use evolution as his means to create, then that means that chapters 1 and 2 of the Word of God are what? Baloney. What? Baloney. Yeah, they're baloney. They're hogwash. That's correct. Yes. And the dominant theory amongst liberals is that Genesis 1 through 3 is a kind of a poetic uh, narrative explanation as to the origin of man for primitive, primitive humanity. In other words, there's no way that you could explain evolution to that primitive man. No one would ever believe you. I mean, who would believe that you came from a monkey? So they created this story for primitive man. But now that we are smarter and we have discovered the origin of man through evolution, we can take Genesis 1 through 3 and trump all over it. We can, we can poo-poo all over it. We can declare it wrong. What's the problem with doing that? What's the problem with poo-pooing all over Genesis 1 through 3? That's right. That's exactly right. 
That's exactly correct. Yeah, Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All, right? Not all, but Genesis one, two, and three. All is all, right? But even within Genesis one through three, even within Genesis one through three, what are the absolute truths that are present? That if they're wrong, impacts the rest of the entire story. Pepper. Uh, if Genesis 1 through 3 is false, then God never promised that offspring. That's right. That's exactly right. Then we have no proto promise in Genesis 3.15. That's one example, but there's much more. What does the very first verse of the Bible say, Jason? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right. So as soon as we remove God as the creator... There's another mechanism whereby things can be created. And then we go into this entire dissertation in there. And what are the other truths in Genesis chapter number one that, if they're not true, are very problematic? That's right. So there are not just two genders. There's a multiplicity of genders, and gender is fluid. That's one example. That's all. There's nothing else in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. That's it, right? We're done. Okay, well then I, let's start talking. Eve. That man was made, that woman was made for man, not for man. That woman was made for man, so not man for man, not woman for woman, that there is a, a God-ordained relationship between males and females. Good. Pepper. The cultural mandate and the creation mandate. Okay, which one do you want to talk about first? Cultural. If Genesis 1 through 3 doesn't exist, then humans have no responsibility to take care of the earth. They can just do whatever they want to. Then you have a you have an argument concerning not just whether we're supposed to take care of the earth, but it could be just the opposite, which is the earth is the God. And we're not supposed to use the hydrogen. We're not supposed to use the natural gas. We're not supposed to cut down a tree. And we and we turn the earth into a what? Keep saving the earth becomes a religion. Something to be worshipped. And and we can't use the resources. What else? Pepper. If there's no creation mandate, then everybody's just going to get an abortion because it's easier to live without kids, less expensive. And we're already seeing that. The all-time declining birth rates are indicative that more and more people are deciding it's just too much work to have children. It's not worth it. You know that we saw a significant decline in the birth rate during the years of COVID. It dropped. Why do you think that is, Addison? Why do you think that the birth rate dropped during the years of COVID? Lucas? Because nobody would want to have a kid that would just get COVID and die. Right, yeah. Did people have a positive view of life when every day the news, you saw the clicker of how many people have died every day from COVID? 10,000, 50,000, 100,000. And every day you saw that clicker just keep... Did that encourage you to have children? No. Right. When we were struggling with knowing whether we were ever going to get the virus under control. So do you mean that how people think about the world impacts whether they bring children into it or not? What do you think? Yes or no? A husband and wife are having a conversation... Their life stinks. The world around them stinks. He lost his job. She lost her job. Their home is being repossessed. They lost one of their cars. Are they thinking, we should have a child? No. 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 There are trackings of the birth rate in accordance where people are more afraid of the atomic uh, weapons or the nuclear potentials, and there's a greater awareness of the idea that the whole world could come to an end, and not just in small views, but larger views, and that directly impacts the birth rate. 
All right, are there any other truths in this Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that are important as we examine these texts? Because in chapter number 1, we still haven't talked about a very important thing yet. Yes. Right. That's huge. Now, when I say that's huge, now you, Lucas, tell me why it's huge. Because then how are are we any better than a monkey or a rabbit or something? So then where does human value derive its origin if it's not intrinsic, I-N-T-R-I, and intrinsic, I-N, internal? Where does it derive its origin from if it's not internal? No? You guys have no idea? Just whoever is the most useful, whoever can do the most. Right, exactly. Your value then is directly tied to what? Your ability to do things. Yeah, your ability to do things. Do we see that in today's world? Do we see that in today's world? Give me an example of how we see that in today's world. Well, like, there's this video game that me and Kara play called Apex Legends. One of them is obviously an evolutionist. So they'll be like, all right, we need to go do this. If you're weak or old, bye-bye. Okay. But I, and I, not the video game, but the real world that we live in. How do we see value directly tied to abilities? Give me some sports. examples. What? Sports. Yes, sports. Okay, who's one of the most valuable football players alive right now? Patrick. What? Say it. Patrick Mahomes. Playing for what team? Chiefs. Chiefs. I almost said 49ers. <laughs> yeah, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Why, Landon, is he so valuable? Because they just won the Super Bowl. And is that the first time they've won the Super Bowl? No. No. What's that? The fourth one in five years. Right. Exactly. And who won it last year? Chiefs. Right. And they think they're going to do it again for? Next And that'll be the first time that any NFL team in the history of the NFL has won three in a row. Actually, the Panthers won the Super Bowl. That would be hilarious. <laughs> so why is he so valuable? What is it that makes him so valuable, Landon? Right, but what is it about him that makes it, him so valuable? His ability to play. Yeah, and in particular, what? What's his position? He's a quarterback. Right. So let's identify all the things that are required for him to do that well. What? What? What's? Throwing. He's got to throw. He's got to throw really well. He can run the ball well. He can run the ball well. What else? Incredible spatial awareness. Yeah, okay, incredible spatial awareness. What do you mean by that? He has to be able to know where people are around him at all times, also focusing on his goal. Right. So he's got a conceptual understanding of football that everyone on that field does not also have. And so we reward him by paying a minimum wage, right? No. No. How do we reward him? Lots of Right. So what are we talking about intrinsic value right now? Are we talking about intrinsic value? No. We're talking about value directly associated with his athletic abilities, but not just his athletic abilities. Kyron, what else? Is he a dumb guy? No, he's incredibly smart. Right. Exactly. And tomorrow, God forbid, gets mowed down by a car and doesn't die. He becomes a quadriplegic. From the neck down, he loses all abilities. What happens to his value with the Kansas City Chiefs? Right. Exactly. His fame will probably go up because he's got a full Sure. Yep. Also, he'll be like the mascot, well not the mascot, the like face of it, they'll be like, hey, look what happened to him, like, you know. Mm -hmm. 
But the Bible says that each and every human being is made in the image and likeness of God, both male and female. Right. And that foundational truth, that absolute truth that applies to all people in all cultures, sets humans apart from, finish the sentence, and everything else, and everything else. How does this come out? Comes out in lots of ways. Here's one. Um, <clears throat> there is the normal physical way in which children are produced. Sometimes couples can't conceive. And so scientists, doctors intervene and can make a sperm and an egg come together in a laboratory and get that embryo started. That fertilization of that egg. And then that can be implanted into a woman's womb, and then that child grows in your womb in a normal way. And then you give birth to the child. So you bypass that first step of conception and then have a normal process. Okay? Everyone follow me? Between the stages of the creating the child through the sperm and the egg, that child is stored in a freezer. Now, I don't mean like a freezer like that, but under cold temperatures. Okay, everyone follow me? All right, and then at the timing of the choosing of the parents, they will put the child inside the womb of the mother. Oftentimes there are four or five of these embryos or even more. Companies are paid to store these embryos, okay? In the state of Alabama, a company neglected to keep the embryos frozen through negligence. A company in Alabama that was getting paid to keep the embryos frozen neglected to keep them frozen through negligence. Now, this is a really big deal. This is like, this is such a big deal that if you're in this business, and you, you have your freezer with normal electricity from the city of Fayetteville, you will also build a giant generator that sits on your property so that the moment that the electricity is ceased from the city of Fayetteville, your generator kicks on and continues to provide electricity. Are y'all following what I'm saying here? Because you're charged with the care of these embryos. You're getting paid as a company to keep them safe. So we're talking about extraordinary measures like fireproof containers and backup generators, etc. All right? Well, a company in Alabama failed to do this. And they were found negligent in a court of law. Negligent. Culpable. The parents sued the organization for the money that they had invested in this entire process. We lost everything. Do you get that? This went all the way up to the Alabama Supreme Court. So went from the lower courts all the way up to the Alabama Supreme Court. And the Alabama Supreme Court ruled a child is a child, whether they are in the womb or whether they're in a freezer, it is still a child. So they ruled in favor of the parents and against the organization. This was a really big deal. Okay, because it validates the idea that when you abort, you're not aborting an embryo, you're aborting a what? A child. And the Alabama Supreme Court decision, it was I think an eight to one decision, I think there was only one dissenting. And again, I just remember that it was an overwhelming majority, argued that it doesn't matter whether the child's in the womb or out of the womb, it's still a child. Because here's the question that the, that the scientist or the secular world has to acknowledge. If, if this line right here on my board is the starting point of conception, the egg and the, uh, 
uh, and the sperm meeting together to, to start the process. And then we take this long line and we go all the way over here. And this is the nine months or whatever the number of weeks is. The big question becomes, when along this timeline does this embryo become a child? Very beginning. Right. But does the world agree with that? No. No. In fact, we divide it up into these trimesters. Trimesters. You know what I mean by trimesters. First trimester, second trimester, third trimester. And we say in different states that it's okay to kill the child in this trimester, but it's not all okay in this trimester. Why are we having this conversation? Because in this trimester, when you do the ultrasounds and all the different ways of seeing the baby, what do you see? You see eyes, you see nose, you see fingers, you see everything that gives you the indication of what? That's a child. And the giant argument is, when's the moment of transition? What? The very beginning. Exactly. Right. And the 50 states in the United States are arguing over when's the moment of beginning. Because as you now move from one state to another in the United States, the abortion laws radically change from place to place to place. Alabama obviously has some of the what? It's, uh, Better it's a Republican state, so it has more... It has stricter, stricter laws. Yes, it has some of the very strictest of all 50 states. And where are the states that have the most liberal? New York. New York is an example. California. California is an example. Exactly. Now consider with me the hypocrisy of this. So we take this same baby here that in some of these states like California and, and New York that can still be aborted in the third trimester or the end of the second trimester when you can see land and all the indications that is clearly a child, right? And we say it's okay to abort, but when, here's this mother with her big pregnant um, stomach and she's obviously pregnant and she gets killed, they will charge the murderer with how many counts of capital? Two. 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 Do you not see the inconsistency? In the womb, you can kill if you're the mother. Anyone else, you're charged with murder. And it goes so much to say that if the mother lives but the baby dies, you're still charged with murder. And we support that. Why do we support that from a Christian worldview? Why do we support that from a Christian worldview? It's still alive. What's that? It's still a living soul. Because it's a baby. That's right. It's a child. Right. It's a child. And our fundamental truth to that is made in the image and likeness of God. Both what? Both male and female. Right. Thus we argue that there is not a gender superiority. There's not a gender superiority between males and females. Okay, what else do we notice in Genesis chapter number one when we get to the end? What's this whole idea about very good? What's the importance of this idea of very good? There was nothing evil yet. Yeah, there's nothing evil yet. Now, why is it so important to wrap our brain around the idea that in Genesis chapter 1, Jack, I'm asking you to think right now. In Genesis chapter number 1, there is nothing evil. Why is that such an important component to a biblical worldview? In Genesis chapter number 1, there's nothing evil. Why is that so important to a biblical worldview? Yeah. Because God didn't create the world evil. Okay, yep. Is that all you're going to say, Jane, or are you going to pick up and carry that ball a little further down the field for our football analogy? Okay. What does, how does, all right, I'll, I'll ask the question differently. How does the knowledge that there was no evil in Genesis chapter 1 provide hope? How does the knowledge 
that there was no evil in Genesis chapter number one provide hope. Yes, absolutely. We can get to there. If we've achieved it one time, can we achieve it again? That's the idea. Now, have we, without God, achieved perfection? No. No. World's full of sin. Everywhere. But God is showing us that there is a possibility, there is a means whereby we can get back to no sin, no fault. Because we were there one time before. All right. What's going on in Genesis chapter number two? What's going on in Genesis chapter number two? She's giving more details on day six. Yes, right. Right. So chapter number one takes me from before day one to day six. And then we've got that whole issue where the chapter division is wrong. What do I mean by that, Lucas? That whole issue where the chapter division is wrong. Because the beginning of chapter three is finishing up the seven days of creation. Um, the beginning of chapter three or the chapter two? Oh yeah, chapter two. Right. Um, so then, where are we? Where are we expecting? Where are we expecting chapter two to start? After the first three. Yes, after day seven. Right. What's verse three say? Jack, read it. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Yep. And that word generations is what word, Pepper? Uh, generations. Yep. Oh, no. Did she get it right? Yeah, it's the Hebrew word what? It's the Hebrew word what? Say it louder. Toledah. There are ten of them in the book of Genesis. So we're expecting that day seven is included in chapter one. <clears throat> so chapter one takes us from day, and when I say chapter one, I mean where it should be broken, from days one or pre-day one through day seven. And then the author circles back and starts telling us about what, Addison? Day six. All about day six. And why does day six, Kyrie, get such a position of prominence because it was the creation of man yes because it is the culmination of humanity so now Jack give me one of the most important truths in chapter 2 what are some of the most important truths in chapter 2 that God created man in his own image okay I thought we learned that in chapter 1 chapter 2 talking about chapter 2 it's not good that man should be alone. Good. That's one. Absolutely. It's not good that man should be alone. And the world has abandoned this. The world has abandoned this idea. What do I mean by that, Asin, that the world has abandoned this? That it's okay if you don't get married? Yeah. Marriage is at an all-time low. We are waiting longer, and few are getting married, and even fewer are having children. These are three very problematic things. Three very problematic things. So let's just imagine all of you in this room, you decide you get out of your mom and dad's house, 18, 19 years old, you go to college, you start living in college as an adult, you graduate from college and you start your job, now you're living as a single adult, and you live for six or seven or eight years of your life as a single adult. You know, pursuing your college, dating and all that. So you've got four years of your life in which you're doing whatever you want because you're in college. Then you've got yourself an apartment and you've been doing whatever you want for six or seven years of your life. And now you've been living for a decade where you're your own person. Now you get married. What's one of the difficult things that you're going to have to adjust to? Not being by yourself. Yeah. You're going to have to care for somebody else than yourself. When, when you live by yourself... Just imagine yourselves living by yourself. You can't right now. It's almost impossible. You have brothers. You have brothers. You have uh, sisters and brothers. Sisters and brothers. Both. Both. Yeah. Lucas, do you have any sisters? Just one, yeah. Just one. Jack's got one. Four brothers, I think. Three brothers. Three brothers. Yeah, there's five of you. That's right. Okay. 
Jane, you've got like a gazillion sisters, right? Is it five? Yes. She's counting. Yeah. Start going like, yeah. is it five? Yes. Right. So all of you in this room, all of you are used to the dynamic of give and take. Do you know what I mean by used to the dynamic of give and take? Sacrificing against brothers. You're, you're sharing space all the time. You go, want, want to go to the bathroom and there might be somebody in there already. There's, there's like all these areas where you're sharing space. But for 10 years, you've been living by yourself in an apartment. Doing what? Anything you want. That's right. If you want to make the bed, you make the bed. If you don't want to make the bed, you don't make the bed. If you want to put the toilet seat down, you put it down. If you want to leave the toilet seat up, you leave it up. Um, if you want to put the cap on your toothpaste, you put it on. If you think to yourself, what is the point of putting the cap on? I'm going to go squeeze toothpaste out in 12 hours anyway. That's stupid. Or you're not going to put the toilet on the toilet paper roll anymore. You're just going to sit on the top. You're like, I don't need to spend. I mean, I can go on and on with illustrations of what? What? Laziness. Okay, laziness. Independence. Independence. Stupidity. <laughs> yeah, you should always put Making the, your own decisions. Yeah, you make your own decisions without regard to anyone what? Else. Else. For 10 years, if you have the money, you're going to buy it. And if you don't have the money, you're not going to buy it. And do you have to ask anyone about what, how you spend your money? Yeah. No. No. Oh. Bam, 32 years old, you get married. And for 12 years, you've been living independent. 13 years, you've been living independent. And now all of a sudden, you've got someone that, guys, they want you to put the toilet seat down. Every time. And they're irritated that you don't do it. Oh, I'd be irritated. I can't do it with the toilet seat. There you have it. What if I don't have a toilet? <laughs> <laughs> you gonna have an outhouse? Yeah. Five yeah. You gonna have an outhouse? Is that what you're planning on? Oh, you're installing a urinal inside your bathroom at your house? Oh, yes. That's correct. Is it just that example? Or is that an indicative of so many other things? Now, all of a sudden, you're sharing a bedroom with somebody. My mom always gets mad at my dad because he doesn't make the bed. Right. Why do you need to make the bed? You're going right back in it nine hours again. What's the point? Okay, right. So your bedroom looks tidy. The point of the matter is, so that we don't lose sight of this, is it fair to say that the longer you wait, the potential is for it to be more difficult for you to adapt back to living with somebody? There was a point in time in our nation's history where singleness was just a brief thing. Singleness was just a brief thing. Between the age of 17 to 19 to 21, there was an expectation that you were what? Married. Courting someone. Courting someone to what end? To become married. To get married. That's right. So the number of years that you were just totally independent doing whatever you wanted was pretty insignificant compared to, because let's face it, did families of days of old have larger families than today? Yes. Yes. The funeral that I went to yesterday, he had 11 brothers and sisters. My great-grandpa had 27 siblings. <laughs> what? They, no they lived on a really possible. big farm, okay? Wait, did they have so, like two like, other families with them? Like multiple no, wives. but um, my great-great-grandpa <laughs> what had four wives. What did you say? The record is like 54 yeah. kids. It makes more sense. The record is yeah, the same all four. woman, yeah. 54? Wait, what? It's it got married at seven. <laughs> 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 
I know, Pepper. Oh. Yeah, was it? Aren't you thankful that Pepper's here to provide you such good? <laughs> yes. No. Thank you, Pepper. I needed that information that I already read. But the point of the matter is, you guys in this room, you are the anomaly. Most children are one or two at the most. You're the anomaly. You're actually more equipped to do better in marriage. Because the things you learn as children become part of your character. Sharing. Occupying joint spaces. Give and take. All those things that you do, Jack, as a necessity that your mom and dad project on you. It's your job. The leadership aspects and all that. Take care of your little brother. Raise your hand if you've changed the diaper in this room. Right? Exactly. You have not, Lucas? Nope. Lucky you. It's too short. Cool. <laughs> you really said that, Kyron? Yes. That wasn't very nice. I don't regret it. When my little brother was a baby, I yeah. was too young to change diapers. Right. But there are lots who've grown up doing that. They're well equipped. These are societal changes that are hurting us. Genesis, if we learn anything from Genesis 2, we learn the idea that God expected Adam and Eve to join together and start a family. Is it verse 24 or 25? What's 24 say? 224. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife and every time one flesh. Right. And though and if we're not sure about how significant they're what they're talking about, what does verse 25 say? Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Right. So in case we're wondering about why well, are we really talking about the biological union of husbands and wives, the very next sentence takes us to their nakedness. And the lack of what? Shame. Shame. There's no shame. And the Bible's communicating that that becomes the only relationship, the only relationship to where there's nakedness and no what? Shame. Shame. With your siblings, you should never be naked with each other. You go in the bathroom, you go whatever, when it comes to opposite genders. Right? Your little brother's what? Sure. But you get the idea of what I'm saying. The greater degree of maturation, the more concerned we are with this. And this is rooted and grounded in it. What else do we learn in chapter 2 concerning work, Lucas? That man was put in the garden to work it and keep it. Right. And what's significance about that being in chapter 2 and not chapter 3, Lucas? That was not a punishment of the fall. That's right. Work is not a punishment. Work is a part of life. We get purpose out of work. That, that, that's one of the outcroppings of that. So we learn that marriage is defined by a man and woman. We learn that God is the efficient of that first marriage. We learn that God ex- expects young men and women to start their own families. We learn that nakedness within the bounds of marriage is totally acceptable. It's the only place where we're not ashamed. We learn the importance of work. And then we roll right into chapter 3, Jaden, and who's the very first person we meet? The serpent. And he's crafty, and he's a deceiver, and he's a liar. And suddenly we realize that there's more to this story than just God, Adam, and Eve. There's an outsider. And that outsider is not happy with this God, Adam, and Eve relationship. So much so that what does he want? Yes. And what are the methods with which he's going to do that? What's his primary tactic? Yes, he's a liar. John chapter 8, verse 44, he's the father of lies. 
So when you're lying, you're more like Satan than God. Think about that. When you're lying, you're more like Satan than God. Jesus will tell them, your father is the devil. He was a liar from the what? From the beginning. And then we see in chapter 3, spiritual what? Death. Spiritual death. That's right. With all the curses, the serpent, the man, the woman, and what else? Tucked in there. Where's our little bit of hope? Where's our bit of hope? The proto? Evangelium. Right. All right. That's it. Let me pass out your homework. You're doing it.